On today's podcast, we have Alan Draper. Alan is a serial entrepreneur. Right now, he's running over 28 different companies. He's also the host of the Business Growth Podcast. He has runs a call center, a software business, real estate, a law firm, just a wide variety of businesses. And so by doing all this, we're going to jump into time management, uh, different books that have helped him, challenges and failing, productivity, overcoming fear. So I'm really excited about this podcast. We're going to go into a lot of different topics. Let's jump into it. Alan, thanks for coming on, man. For sure. You're doing so much. I mean, you own 28 businesses, call centers, software companies, real estate, law firm, podcasts, all your startups. One of the first things I want to ask is, what's your time management philosophy and strategies? Because you're doing so much, like your output's through the roof. So how do you manage all that? You know, it's. I used to think that time management was something that you figured out and then it, you were set for the rest of your life. But it's something that I struggle with daily. I'm always looking for efficiencies. Um, I actually interviewed the founder of Hostaway uh, last week for my podcast. And um, I, we started talking about email and he told me he doesn't have email. And I'm like, you're the founder and CEO of a software company and you don't have email. And he's like, no, I took up too much of my time. So it's for me, it's, it's evolving. You know, I have, I have definite structure. Um, I have a calendar that I work with, but for me, it's not the calendar that makes me efficient. It's what am I doing in between time and, and what are my habits? It's my habits that allow me to be efficient. Um, and, and one of the things that I've been reviewing over the last six months is making sure that every single task that I undertake actually moves the needle. Cause I have three small children too. I have a four, eight and 10 year old, you know, children, kids. So, um, it's not just what I do with work, right. And professionally, and I'm, I'm very active. I'm very physical. I go to the gym every day or I play basketball or some type of physical activity. Um, I'm, I'm very involved in my church. I have my spiritual life is very important to me. My relationships are very important to me. So it's not just, if it were just my professional life, just the 28 businesses, just my podcast, I think that'd be a piece of cake. That's, those are things that I love doing. I'm naturally drawn yeah. to that, but yeah, I guess, you know, the, the, the short answer is it's, it's ever evolving, but right now I'm, I'm really looking at my habits. Cool. Do you have any other maybe tips or like groundbreaking time management things that have helped you over the years where maybe you moved so from ha- one style to another and you're like, man, this was huge for me. For sure. So I started a morning specific routine about, um, six years ago that has been a game changer for me in terms of time management, um, where I spend time, uh, a lot of time thinking, pondering, um, visualizing, journaling, um, doing some, um, spiritual reading, some praying, some meditating. And that's how I start my day. And by the time two, three o'clock rolls around, if for whatever reason I got interrupted and wasn't able to complete my morning routine, I can fill it. 
So that has really changed, and it's super cliche. I know it. I, you know, pe people talk about this all the time, but it works for me. It it changes the course of my day. I'm able to stay more organized. I'm able to stay sharper throughout the day, and so th my morning routine has been a complete game changer for me. Love it. And it, we'll jump into this later. I mean, with you having a podcast, but one thing I've been able to see is interviewing so many different guests. And one common thread that I see with really successful people is they all have a morning routine and it's just gaining that momentum in the morning. It's having that meditation, that visualization, that time for themselves in the morning, but fitness is always part of it. Learning is always part of it. And it, to me, it's fascinating. The morning routine for me is everything. Like that's my foundation for the day. And so that's why I, I like to geek out on it. But let's jump into what I love about your story is that you were going, going down more of a typical route, which is you went to law school, probably with the assumption to practice law. Is that right? And then, yeah, I you, think there were points there that where I was planning on practicing law, but I've been an entrepreneur at heart since I was about eight years old. Okay, so I want to hear about the transition of how you went from law school, maybe getting going to practice law, to then starting and running twenty eight businesses. You know, you have a pest control company and inside sales company and software and real estate and all this stuff. That's just not your typical go to law school and be an attorney. So, what caused that transition? Yeah, so. You know, I think it started with the purpose of me going to law school. I was working for a bank after graduating and with my undergrad. And it's weird. Like, I, I don't know if I came across some um, LSAT questions or something. But one day I'm like, dude, I think I could do pretty good on the LSAT, which is the entrance exam for yeah. law school, right? And so I started doing practice um, practice, practice exams and I was scoring in the 90th percentile and, and for LSATs, like they release old LSATs. So you have the actual exam. And so I'm like, man, I'm, you know, why don't I give it a shot? So I took it. I did really well, scored in the 92nd percentile and, you know, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, dude, I, I'm not the type of person that gets pigeonholed into, you know, a traditional job. I'm not a nine to fiver. Um, yeah. I was also kicking around the idea of getting an MBA at that point, but I just really needed some direction in my life. So I decided to go to law school, went to Arizona state, which is a top 20 law school in the country. A lot of people don't know that cause it's known as a party school, but they have a very, very, um, good law school, difficult to get into. And there was a point when I was in law school and I'm like, man, I love this stuff. Maybe I am going to be a career attorney. Um, out of law school, I worked for one of the biggest firms in the world. Um, and dude, it wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, I, I'm actually not a suit and tie type of guy. Um, and so then I worked for a medium sized firm and about that time, my, my brother, um, brought an idea of, Hey, let's start a pest control company, which we had tried. He and I had tried in the past. But we were too immature, didn't have the capital, just didn't work out. So then I when think he, he said brought that, was that back to in me, 06, right? Is that you tried it that like Yeah, exactly. Yep. We tried in 06. That was before I went to law school. So, you know, uh what was that? Like nine years removed, 
were like, Hey, maybe it's, maybe it's time. And that time it stuck. And was that your first business that you owned and started? That was my first non real estate business. I treat my, my real estate holdings as a business. I treat them, you, you know, like it's like, it's a business very formally and professionally, but it was my first non real estate business that I started that, that worked. I, I have a couple failures under my belt for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's actually, let's talk about failures and just the struggle and, and fear. There, there's so much in entrepreneurship that I believe you learn. And that's why I love entrepreneurship is I feel like yeah. through the challenge, through the struggle is where the growth is. And I don't know if you get that in a nine to five, at least not to the same extent. Right. You know, I don't know if there are different personality types that maybe they do get their level of discomfort from a, from a nine to five. And I'm sure there are varying levels of that. But for me, I've noticed that the growth was, you know, 10 X accelerated when I started a business just because, you know, when, when something happens, you, you don't have anybody to hand it off to it's, it ends with you. Right. And, and I've, just like every business owner, I've had some crazy experiences. I mean, I have 200 trucks driving around doing services as we speak. So just that alone, just the vehicles on, on the road, there's just story after story, of, you know, things going wrong. But being an entrepreneur, you know, to be honest with you, Brandon, yesterday I had a freaking crappy day, a freaking crappy day. <laughs> and I... Um, toward the end of the day, my 10 year old is like, you know, it's probably eight o'clock, seven o'clock. My 10 year old's like, Hey, let's go fishing. And so I'm like, I got to, man, I got to. So we went out there and, you know, we don't, we don't talk that much when we're out fishing. We just, you know, we're just kind of together. And yeah. I was reviewing my day just mentally. And I'm like, you know what? If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to embrace the fact that you are going to have more crappy days than good days. And and not only that, but the most successful entrepreneurs are able to find find the good in the crappy days. So it's not just being able to embrace that where it's like do 300 of my 365 People would say those are very crappy. I'm actually not doing that again. I'm going to quit. But the and that that's what makes an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur doesn't quit. But the great entrepreneurs, they say, okay, three, you know, three hundred or whatever it is of that three sixty five. They were crappy days. But this is what I got out of it. This is how I'm better because of it. And that you know, totally yesterday agree. was one of those days where. I didn't want to have that mentality. I, I was fighting it, but I'm like, by the end of the day, after the fishing trip, I'm like, all right, taking a couple deep breaths. What did I learn from today? And how does it make me better? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer in it. It doesn't, it's not about what you get from achieving your goals or starting the companies. It's about what you become exactly. from achieving your goals and, and throughout the companies. It's just a vehicle of growth. I feel that same way with sales. 
sales has always made me so much better as a person because it's forced that development in your communication skills and your work ethic and your efficiencies could be your time management, whatever. And so that's why I love sales is it just forces that human growth, just like entrepreneurship. I also feel like in entrepreneurship, there's been a lot more failure and more, more yeah. risk, right? You feel more weight and more pressure because in sales, it's just you and your family. But with entrepreneurship, there's other, other lives at stake, other mouths that are being impacted. And so, um, the struggle is real. And, and how do you balance one thing with entrepreneurship? Sometimes it's hard is when you have those bad days, let's say back to your analogy, the 300 bad days out of 365, how do you not take that home into your personal life? You know, I, I had a technician get into an accident recently. And just yesterday, uh, we had the review call to, you know, we, we dig into the details, find out exactly what happened. And, and I was talking about this exact same thing with him. And I said, when I first started my first company, it was so difficult for me to bear the burden of all the problems. People rarely come to me when things are good. Just being the business owner every once in a while, sure. but I really have to go find it. But the negative, the you know, the customer, the lawsuit, the whatever, things going wrong, those come to me. So early on, dude, I really had a hard time. And that's when I started going to the gym. About four months into my first startup, I started working out crazy, and that was that was my release. Um and I was telling I was telling this individual that I got to the point where I I only allowed certain to take certain things with me once I sh shut my computer off at the end of the day. And and one of those things is the safety of my people and and the individuals around my people, right? And that's when we were talking about this accident that he was involved in. So, I think it's a skill set I think being able to control your thoughts and to be able to focus on one thing at a time is an extreme skill set. The other day I posted on my Twitter that the greatest asset, the greatest skill set of the 21st century is going to be able, is the ability to focus on one thing at a time. And I had read that somewhere and it's very, very true. So when, when I shut my monitor off for the day, my my focus is no longer my work and that's my job. My job is to be able to change that focus to my family or to my church or to my workout or whatever it is I'm doing. And so that's on me and I have I take that as a serious challenge. It's not just something that I treat casually where it's like, yeah man, oh this is dragging me down. And I'm not perfect with it, Brandon. Like some stuff yeah. lingers over like it did yesterday. It does. Sure. But for me, I'm, I try to be very proactive about it. That physical act of shutting off my monitor is like a symbol of me. Okay. I'm changing where my thoughts are. Yeah. And I think that I'm so glad you brought it up is because it's a skill set, that doesn't mean that you're just going to be great at it. You're going to have to work your way up to it. And there's still going to be bad days where you blow it. You come inside and you still have some frustration or you're short sure. with the family or whatever. And so you learn, you look at those moments, you're like, I, I need to do better at that. And so I love that you talked about the gym too, because I love relating the gym to entrepreneurship. 
and cells. It's just it, at the gym, if you're not lifting, if you don't have that resistance, you're never building strength. Exactly. And it's the exact same in entrepreneurship and in sales. You have to have that resistance to grow. Same in leadership, right? And so if you are in a current leadership role, you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'm really struggling balancing, letting work run over into my personal life. Just like we spoke about, it is a skill set. It's something you're going to have to be intentional about and you're going to have to slowly work on that to get better and better and better. And even then, it's still going to be hard. I, at least I found is I don't know if that ever becomes easy. That's something I still have to park my car and say, man, I got rocked today. I need to hurry and let that go before I walk in the door. Yeah, I think one thing that I would add is part of my morning routine is I I visualize where I am in the future. So regarding seven areas of my life. and What are those seven real quick? Yeah, I'd so, be curious and, and in order... My spiritual life, okay. my family life, so my relationships, uh, my mental, like where I am mentally and whether I'm progressing and learning. Um, four is physical, five is professional, six is financial, and seven is social. And so every morning I pick an area where I spend five to 10 to 15 minutes just visualizing, you know, where am I going to be in 10 years? I, the first thing I imagine is me looking in the mirror. And looking at how my physical appearance has changed. And that really allows me to mentally set the table. So I can see myself as a 50-year-old, as a 55-year-old, 60-year-old, whatever I'm doing for the day. And then I imagine one of those categories. I imagine that I have this, I still have, you know, this incredible relationship with God. And, um, or, you know, I imagine what my physique looks like and I imagine how that makes me feel seeing that. And I go through this really detailed routine. And so when those things happen, when these bad things happen that I'm trying to let go at the end of the day, I try to draw back on where I was visualizing in the morning and ask myself, is this going to matter in five years? And if it doesn't matter in five years, then it allows mentally it allows me to let go of it a little easier. It's not always easy, but maybe just a little bit where it's like, Hey man, I'm going to get this figured out. This isn't going to affect the long-term vision that I have for myself and my family and those around me. And so just, just kind of going through that morning practice allows me to visualize and, you know, let some of those things go a little easier. So helpful. And that's one idea of why visualization can be so powerful for those that don't do it. And I go through a similar exercise. When bad things happen, I ask myself, is this going to matter in five minutes? Is it going to matter in five months? And is it going to matter in five years? And depending on which of those that I can answer to, then I know how big of a problem it is. If it's going to matter in five years, that's a big problem. (laughs) If it's going to matter in five months, I call that a medium. And if it's not going to matter in five minutes, I don't even spend my time on it. Yeah, that's awesome. The interesting thing is that if you... If you really give it the time, very, very few things will matter in five years. Very few. I've it's so I've true. So true. Yeah. So I, I love those seven things. I was going to ask you, you said those in order. Does that mean that's the importance based off the order that they're exactly. in? Exactly. So that's, you know, that's where my head's at. And I think each, each level impacts the levels below it more and that's why they're in that order so so basically in yours like if you're dialed spiritually family physically mentally 
financially is one of the last or the last that's going to take care of itself if all those are exactly. taken care of. So financial, that's number six for me personal, you know, that's, that's a personal choice for me, but that's where, and I'm not, here's the thing is that I'm not in the same place where other people are financially. Right. So that's for some people that might if, be higher. Yeah. If you're 25 and you just graduated college and every dollar counts, that might be more important at that time, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you have to be careful with that because, you know, you can let that stay on top for most of your life and then none of the other things matter. And so that that's tricky. Yeah. So I think there's no way it gets into the top three and it may not get into the top four. Um, you know, Larry Miller is a really good example of that. Somebody I, I really look up to because... Um, I've read so much about his life and it saddens me to some extent that it was, um, unnecessarily shortened and it was because of his eating habits and he did not take care of his body. And toward the end of his life, he started to realize that right at the time. And he was, I do not understand the let, like when, you know, he was building the Delta center and like just how busy his life was. I do not understand that but he, he wouldn't eat for long <laughs> periods of time. And then he would eat like four hamburgers, right. And, or whatever. And, and if we look at, we don't look at time as in, in, in terms of how much time do I have today? But we look at it with a longer term perspective. Then it's like, man, he, he actually didn't have that much time. He didn't end up saving himself time. He ended up ca- uh, costing himself time because he wasn't focused on the physical aspect. That's so cool. You brought it up. A friend just purchased that book and gave it to me. And I just finished it about two weeks ago. And I had so many mixed emotions about it. On one hand, I respect him so much because of what he did for the state that I live in. Right. I mean, he is monumental for this Mm -hmm. state. And on the other side, he, you know, self-admittedly, he's like, I blew it with my family. I wasn't there for him. And so two of the takeaways I had is time management. I think he could have done better. Like you said, he bypassed working out and eating correctly, and that ultimately ended up costing him his life. The other thing, though, is just empowering others to make decisions. What You talked about building the Delta Center. He went and studied all the trees and exactly. wanted to make the decision for what kind of trees were planted and how the concrete was poured, all the stuff that very capable humans could have made those calls. And he admitted at the end of his book that like, I shouldn't have made those decisions. I should have got out of those decisions, let other people make those. And so there's some really good life lessons in his story. But ultimately, he brought it. He had amazing work ethic, and he he had just a tenacity to win. Yeah. And that's what made him so Very great. Very competitive. You know, and I think about how he was able to acknowledge his mistakes, and he didn't take yeah. them with him with him to the, to the grave, right? He shared those with others so they could avoid them, which I think is really hard for us. It's really hard for us, especially when he was talking about his family. He's talking about, Hey man, I was around my kids as much as I should have been. And here's the warning, right? But speaking about just real quick, speaking about, um, the power of leverage. I recently read a book, uh, by Dan Sullivan called, um, who not how. And if, if Larry had used that, um, I think some things would have been different, but again, like I, I really look up to him and, and so there's so much to learn from him. 
Same. And a part of that book and why he was, I believe why he was so focused on getting that book out there is to say, look, here's what I learned, learn from my mistakes. And he was pretty dedicated on making sure that thing was completed before he passed away. So glad he brought up Larry Miller. Think the world of him and, and the lessons that he tried to help us all learn. You brought up reading. Reading to me has probably been a top three most influential thing in my life that's brought me success. And the more I learn and the more I read, the more I realize there is more to learn in in this world and, and how much I don't know, right? And so it's it's this weird relationship, but I love it so much. And And to me, it's just so fascinating that there's so much knowledge out there People have learned so many amazing things and the information is right there. And if you're just willing to spend the time, you can speed up. You just brought up a great example of maybe something that could have changed Larry Miller's life. Someone that was so successful already, but there's this game changing philosophy in this one book, right? That could change a lot. And so I want to, I know reading for you is part of your daily schedule Mm -hmm. Why is it so important? And then I want to get into maybe some of the most impactful books that you've read o- over your career. Sure. I mean, I've been, it's funny because I didn't, re- I don't remember reading a book until I was like deep in high school, like not a single book. It wasn't something that I grew up doing. I don't remember my parents necessarily <laughs> reading to me. I'm the exact same way too. And, yeah. And um, my very first book that I remember reading just, voluntarily like I was forced to kind of read to do book reports and stuff which I never did you know I never read the entire book anyway but very first book I read was The Client by John Grisham and then I end up going to law school I don't know if there's a correlation there but that is Mm -hmm. the type of impact that reading has had on my life and from that book and I remember when I it's crazy like and we're talking a couple decades ago I remember like picking it off of the shelf in in the high school library. But, you know, for me, and there was three years of my life where I spent six to eight hours a day reading during law school. That's, you know, a big part of what I, what I did. But even before that, just being able to discover the world, I grew up in a small town in a farming community where the world's small. It's really small out there. And the way that I was able to see what was out there without actually having the resources to physically get out there was to read. And, you know, some of my greatest mentors are authors of books that I'll never meet. Um, And reading does a couple of big things for me, Brandon. Number one, it motivates me. It allows me to see what others are doing and what's possible, which I think is very important for entrepreneurs. And the second thing it does is it, you know, it gives me the education, allows me to develop and progress. So, and I think it's in that order. I think I read number one to be motivated, to realize like, hey, whatever I'm going through, like I'll be able to figure it out with help or, you know, um, whatever the case is. So, um, yeah, reading is, and and the busier I get, the more I have to be deliberate about it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely sure. been a big part of my life. That That is the hardest thing for me is I'll go home from work. I have a backlog of things that I needed to get done that I didn't get done. So the next morning I'm like, man, I have this one hour blocked off to read. Do I read or do I start chipping away at some of these things? And that's kind of the dilemma sometimes is 
it gets really hard when, when you're so busy. What are some of the most influential books that you've gone through nonfiction? Nonfiction. I've, man, I've read every business book I think out there. Um, one of my favorite business books. Um, so I'll give you three. I'll give you a business book, an investing book, and a kind of uh, motivational slash emotional book. Uh, my favorite cool. top top three business book is Good to Great by Jim Collins. I read it every single year. Love it. Um, one of my favorite investing books is um, the the Cash Flow Quadrant. Um, a lot of people say Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I read early, which had a huge impact on me. But in terms of leveraging time and money, I think the Cash Flow Quadrant had a bigger impact. Uh, that's Robert Kiyosaki. And then um, yeah. I read a book called Tuesdays with Maury every year um, in the month of December. And that was written by a guy. Um, it's a true story written by Mitch Album, And he talks about um, the, the final days of his professor um, that he kind of developed this relationship with. And I read it every year in the month of December because for a couple of reasons. One, we're you know celebrating a pretty big uh, holiday that has some religious implications. Um, two, it's kind of, we're starting to think about the, the new year and what, you know, I'm thinking about where my head's going to be for the following year in terms of goals and things like that. Um, and that book just really gives me a chance to reflect and um, focus on what actually matters and what's going to matter to me, um, you know, at the, at the end of my life. And, and one of the habits of the, the seven habits of highly successful people is that they have this ability to see the end from the beginning. And that book allows yeah. me to do that. Love that. Look, kind of switching gears for a minute and talking about podcasting. You've done it for two years. What have you learned through interviewing all these different guests over the last two years? There's some incredible people out there. There are some incredible people and, you know, I, some people say, don't compare yourself to others. And I don't, I don't know that I necessarily do it in the traditional sense, but I do like looking at what others are accomplishing just for the, just so I can have the perspective of seeing what's possible. I don't, I don't yeah. use it to demotivate myself. Most people, when they say, hey, don't compare yourself to others, what they mean is, don't do it so that it you know it makes you feel bad about yourself because you're not accomplishing whatever. But c going through the podcast, it's just like the four minute mile. Once it was broken, then a lot of exactly. people broke the four minute mile over the next couple of years. Same exactly, thing. people realized what was possible, and through my podcasting, I've just been amazed at what people are accomplishing. Um, that, and a lot of it doesn't get the social media hype. You know, it doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And being able to sit down with somebody for 30 or 45 minutes gives me the chance to kind of dive into that and find out, you know, what what they have accomplished and how they've been able to do that. And the relationships that I've made have just, I mean, they've they've impacted my life in so many ways, including my businesses. I found a bunch of investment deals doing it, but... More than anything, I think it's just meeting incredible people that really motivate me to kind of push through my struggles. Out of all the the businesses that you have, the 28, 
Is there one that's more special to you than others and why? It's going to be my pest control company because that's where it started. And pest control is not sexy, man. It's really not. Um, I own a law firm. I own a digital marketing agency. I'm developing a software. Now those three are, you know, within the last couple of years, but I make a lot more money from my pest control company. My pest control company has allowed me to do that. But I think it goes, I think it goes further than that. I think it's because that's where I got my start emotionally and mentally in business. Um, early on in the pest control company, like the first week or two, I remember there were probably four or five occasions where I thought it was over. I thought like, you know, and I moved from Phoenix, I was practicing law, I quit my legal job. I moved from Phoenix, I had a two-year-old and a three-month-old, and I moved to Detroit to start my first pest control company, and people thought I was nuts. Everybody wow. was just, you know, this guy is off his rocker, well-paying legal job, and I was literally spraying houses. Wow. Right? I was the guy. I was the first technician. I was the guy out there in, like, you know, the uniform, driving the, you know, the truck, and I, the week before that, I was a practicing attorney. And I think a lot of this just goes back to my vision. My vision for what I wanted for my life was, was so big that I could push through that. Um, but, you know, it was, this, it was this idea that, you know, I could, I could have, you know, something, something larger. But, you know, I... I, I don't regret it, but kind of going back to this question, those early days, man, I, I honestly thought I was going to have to start making some phone calls in Phoenix to move back and, um, wow. and get my legal job back wow. and nothing, nothing can re replace that for me. You know, that just that feeling of, and that's why I'm so interested in the startup process. Um, I, I start on average or I invest in on average two to three um, startups a year because I love that phase because that's where the real growth is. Everybody wants the uh, the multi million dollar company. They want that you know that passive income, which is super important, which is a super important super important part of uh, entrepreneurship. But the real growth comes in the startup phase, and that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah, let's kind of switch gears to investing because you brought it up you're, you're big into real estate and you've got some residential, some commercial, some short-term, mm -hmm. long-term rentals out of everything that you've done in real estate. What's been your favorite? I think my favorite part of real estate is actually the diversity, you know, as you can tell from just the type of personality that I have, I yeah. like, I like being able to feel like the new kid, and like I'm learning something all over again. That's why I'll start a business in a brand new industry. Um, I like that aspect of real estate. And, you know, recently I've I've been developing more commercial stuff. Um, I'm building a fairly large uh, complex in Phoenix right now. Um, and, man, I'm learning a lot about permits and you know, diff different types of development because I just bought raw land and we're building it from the ground up. So I like, I like the ability to kind of get into real estate and, 
and find different avenues. But I've been really successful with single family. Um, I know the big guys will say, hey, stay away from single family, get into multifamily. And I get that the risk is is less, right? You know, single family vacancy is 100%, right? If if sure. somebody moves out where it's not like that with multi-tenant. But, um, and I'm starting to get a little more into short-term rentals, um, building a, a house that's going to be completed in the next two weeks, actually, in Naples, Florida right now which will be a vacation rental. We'll use it a little bit, but not a ton. Uh, very high-end, expensive home, uh, walking distance to the beach there in, in Naples. Um, so I'm starting to get into short-term rentals. If they're managed correctly, um, the ROI is huge. Yeah, I agree. Right now, I would guess that your short-term is probably outperforming the long-term in the single family. Um. Yeah, dude, I got I, I bought some houses 15 years ago that are absolutely crushing it. But in terms of appreciation, yeah, but I mean, rents are really high too. Cash flow is really high because my costs are so low. Right. Um. So, and I'm I'm still new to the short term rental. I've been doing it for a year or so. Um. But once once we get going up and going with the Naples house. Yeah, that's that's going to produce a a lot of revenue. Yeah. Any any other plans in real estate over the next couple of years? Sounds like you're doing a big commercial project. That's awesome. Ground up development. Anything else you're mm-hmm. excited about? Yeah. So I either build or um, buy two to three properties a year. My guess is in the next year or two, I will get into some um, multifamily. I almost bought an apartment complex in Oklahoma about six months ago. Um, that was, I don't know, 40 doors, something like that. Not crazy, wow. but wow. You know, my first foray there, uh, yeah. decided to back out right now. I'm, I'm kind of seeing what happens. I think there's going to be some really big deals, um, in the next six to 18 months. So, um, I was already under contract with the Naples house. So we're going to see that through, but, um, I'm going to be adding to my short-term rental portfolio. Um, we'll continue to look for, uh, commercial, opportunities and you know just just the whole thing but yeah every year i buy two to three properties and you know it's it it's a very small part of what i do you know time wise but i did just um within the last two weeks i hired a full-time property manager um to handle all of my properties and help my brother with his properties and our shared properties and our commercial stuff and so that was a really big move and i made that decision because of that book who not how Wow. Um, so that was a really big step. And so that person who's a, an experienced real estate agent, it has some projects to look for. Uh, we're looking for a large commercial space in, in the Detroit area. Um, so yeah, just lots of irons in the fire right now. Awesome. Alan, if, if listeners want to find out more about your podcast and listen to the last two years of work that you've done there and just follow you on social, how do they find you? Yeah, uh, they can go to my website, website, alandraper.com. I'm active on Instagram and my podcast is called the Business Growth Pod. So once once you go to any of those, you'll find where I'm at all over. Cool. Alan, well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It's been awesome. 